Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day with me, none other than A.B. Burns Tucker, law student and host of I Am Legally Hype. Always fascinated to hear her breakdowns. Top story of the day, hell of a story. There's a county commissioner, the chairman of the county commission to be specific, named Jeff Turner. Jeff Turner has fired his secretary, his assistant at the county. Because according to the police, she wrote a threatening letter, mailed it to him and acted as if it was the sheriff of the county. I know that that seems extreme. But the claim from her is that the chairman wrote it to himself. Two other county commissioners have now said the exact same thing. Let me try to give you this story as simple as possible. Let's put up the picture of Commissioner Jeff Turner. He is the chairman of the Clayton County Commission and also the former police chief of Clayton County as well. This is in the state of Georgia. Full transparency, I've met the chairman multiple times. I know the guy. So when this information came out, I was surprised. Let me give you the rest of the story. The fired secretary, according to Fox 5 News Atlanta, the fired secretary of the Clayton County Commission chairman says she feels betrayed by her old boss. The GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, filed warrants against Miss Katrina Holloway for allegedly making false statements and filing a false police report. Let's put her picture up. That is Miss Holloway. Miss Holloway was an employee of Chairman Turner until the 24th of this month. According to the arrest affidavit, Ms. Holloway purposefully provided the GBI, and I quote, false and fictitious information during an active GBI investigation into fake threatening letters received by both Turner and Holloway herself on June 27, 2022. The GBI said Ms. Holloway was the person who sealed and mailed the threatening letters to Turner and herself and that they were written in a way that made Turner fear for his safety. Ms. Holloway spoke exclusively with the Atlanta press, claiming it was her former boss who asked her to mail the letters that he did not tell her the contents of the letters. Now, the Atlanta press, it is actually a new media publication, but they, have an investigative journalist, freelance journalist named Crystal Bowie, who did the interview. Here's part of it. I, unbeknownst to me, I was being an accomplice to something. You have been fired from working with the Clayton County Board of Commissioners by your former boss, Commissioner Jeff Turner. You have a warrant out for your arrest. How did we get to this point? Okay, um, first let me say that um, I'm being falsely accused with sending a fake threatening email to Chairman Turner. And the letter was designed to make it look like the former Sheriff Victor Hill wrote the letter. 
And so um, the GBI came in for an investigation. And due to the fact that I am chairman, well, I was chairman Turner's executive assistant. Um, it's not uncommon for him to come to me and ask me for blank envelopes or um, county envelopes and for me to seal um, the envelope up and give it back to him. So um, nothing raised the red flag that I was giving him stamps and sealing two letters that was addressed to myself and him. Unbeknownst to me what the contents of the letter was, which turned out to be a fake threat. Um, and like I stated that the letter was designed in such a way to make it appear that um, former Sheriff Victor Hill did it. It looked like he did, but he did. Chairman Turner wrote that threat to himself. That is a hell of an accusation. The chairman of Clayton County, a 23-year law enforcement veteran, and also the former chief of Clayton County, former chief of police. According to her, Ms. Holloway, it was him who sent the threatening letter. Now, here's where the story actually thickens. Let's put up a picture of Commissioner Felicia Franklin. Commissioner Franklin is currently on the board. She did an interview as well. Here's part of it. And I even reported it to the district attorney of our county. And the information I provided them was A, the timing, as I just stated to you, in terms of the suspiciousness, and it looked like the boy who cried wolf. B, the fact that a little bit later, I noticed that the, uh, there was some anonymous emails going out to the public, and you could see the top of the screen of the computer. And interestingly enough, that top of the screen of the computer that I sent an email to the GBI showed that it had to be a high level operations manager. And there are only a few people within our county that have that type of access. And I can tell you this, it would not be necessarily an administrative assistant. It would be the one that is over said operations. And you could see that at the top. Not only did I notify the GBI, but I also sent it to our chief of police, our sheriff's office, and again, our district attorney, because I really had concerns for our safety as board members. According to Commissioner Franklin, uh, Commissioner Turner, Chairman Turner is pulling a Jesse Smollett. That's according to her. Now, another county commissioner came forward. Let's put up her picture. This county commissioner, her name is Dr. Alika Anderson. Clayton County Commissioner Alika Anderson came forward after the Atlanta Press's original reporting. We're not taking this lightly, she said. We're also finding out that there are other layers to this investigation of possible corruption that is coming out of the office based on things that we're hearing from our employees and many others. Anderson said on radio Tuesday morning. Um, let me say this, all right? This is a hot mess, obviously. But at the center of it was an attempt to make a threatening letter seem as if it came from a particular person. That particular person in question 
was Sheriff Victor Hill. He's retired now from Clayton County. There was a longstanding conflict, well known and publicly documented. A conflict between the sheriff and the chair. Now, we don't know who did what, there's absolutely no video of it being done. But there's another dynamic here. Anderson would not specify, Commissioner Anderson would not specify what exactly she meant by other things to come from this investigation. Saying, and I quote, there are employees that I don't want to really speak about because again, there are whistleblower laws that protect our employees. But I just want you all to know that our job as commissioners is to protect our citizens, our employees. And we're going to make sure that we protect them to the highest degree of the law. Um, also in the Atlanta press interview, Commissioner Franklin talked about uh, an audit, a financial audit that was ordered by the commission that has not been produced yet. And said that basically that was the catalyst or the genesis of this rocky relationship um, as it stands today. You can see that interview in its entirety um, on their site. So Turner, let's put Turner's picture up, he released a statement. So Chairman Turner released a statement to the Atlanta press that said, I vehemently deny the allegation being made by Dr. Holloway. The GBI conducted a thorough investigation into the matter and then issued warrants as the result of their findings. I am a 23 year law enforcement veteran and now chairman of Clayton County and take these matters seriously. I would never intentionally do anything that would disgrace my name or standing in the community I work, live and play in. I do plan to pursue civil action against Dr. Holloway. I will not allow anyone to lie on me or scandalize my name. That is his response in part. Now, the last time I checked the story, which was earlier today, it looks as if the GBI says the investigation is actually ongoing. Commissioner Franklin says that she submitted evidence to the GBI that would indicate Chairman Turner. She said that on record. When I went to the GBI's website, literally under the press heading that talks about this particular warrant for the assistant or former assistant of Commissioner Turner. It says that no evidence has been submitted. However, the commissioner, Franklin, has doubled down on that comment saying she absolutely submitted evidence to the GBI. And then on record again, the same commissioner claimed that the director of the GBI is good friends with Jeff Turner, the chairman, and used to be the police chief of Clayton County also. Well, all right, AB. Um, when you graduate law school, dear sister, these are some of the cases you're you're going to have to deal with. It's complex. Absolutely. What are your thoughts here? Um, so first and foremost, this is absolutely a hot mess, right? And it's unfortunate for the citizens of Clayton County, uh, especially during a time right now where a lot of citizens around the world or around the um, around America, excuse me, are you know, struggling with trusting people that they have voted and um, to be in positions of power and position of leadership. Um, one thing about black women though, we know how to investigate, okay? Probably better than the GBI, the FBI, the IBI, wherever other eyes you got. So, you know, when you say, oh, I seen at the top of that email, it was somebody high level who did that. You know, that starts to beg questions about who actually submitted this, um, 
the emails or the letters, right? So I'm a little confused as to whether they're emails and letters or just an email and a letter, right? That seems to be something at issue. But in addition to that, it's just common sense, right? As someone who has been an assistant for years prior to law school, right? To from judges to other attorneys. I have been in positions where maybe you know my superior gave me a letter or gave me something and was like, hey, just send this out, take care of it, blah, blah, blah. But you always CYA and double check what's going on because you don't wanna be in positions like this, right? So it's unfortunate yep. that this woman, her life is now affected by this, right? Any type of employment she may wanna get in the future is gonna be affected by this. There's a lot of charges that could be here, right? He's talking about filing civil case. Well, if he is defaming her and he is being dishonest and that comes out, well, that's to be a civil suit, you know, on him as well. So it's yeah. just unfortunate that we have this level of high school petty games going on right now um, because of a little beef, right? Victor Hill is gone. He, why wasn't he um, found guilty of the charges um, that he was facing not too long ago? So this should not be at issue. People should be more concerned about doing the work of their community and the county um, for the people who voted them in, as opposed to trying to get one up on the next person. Yeah, it's quite fascinating. So obviously, the one person that whoever wanted to indicate or to imply was Victor Hill. That's the guy that didn't do it. Victor Hill is retired now. He's he's no more in Clayton County as the sheriff, but he still is in the news for being a victim. Regardless of who did it, they wanted to make it seem like he did it, but very sad. Story update, our update. Is this put up the picture full mass of the individuals who have been charged? Remember the story of the young college student who said he was brutally assaulted by white men and it was racially motivated. Well, when we first did the reporting, no arrests had been made. According to the police, they already identified the two men, spoke to them, and said at that time, well, there's a conflicting story because the two white males are saying this young man almost hit them with his car. And I said then, last time I checked, even if that were to be true, that does not give them the right to beat them up. So let's go directly to the history. You're looking at Gosh Dakota Stanley, 20 years of age, and Coley Zuba Reasoner, 20 years of age, have now been charged with felony aggravated battery and misdemeanor battery in connection with that attack. The Kennesaw police say tips from the community help lead investigators to the two men. According to jail records, both have been released. Stanley posted a $16,720 bond and Reasoner posted $22,220 for his bond. Uh, let's put up the victim again in this case. As you recall, the victim was Kennesaw State University student. Uh, big uh, shout out to KSU. Jalik Roseman, who was found by police bleeding from his nose due to a fractured nose sustained during the attack. The suspects also pulled out his dreadlocks, okay? Roseman told Fox 5 News, and I quote, I want people to understand this was very traumatic for me. It was around midnight on Sunday when the attackers followed Roseman from his car and pounced upon him in the parking lot of his off-campus apartment. Here it is. The attackers fled the scene before the police arrived. 
So Roseman, he told police he was getting out of his car when the two white men beat him to the ground and kicked him in the face while calling him the N word, according to a police report. Roseman said he didn't know the people who attacked him. Kennesaw police told Fox 5 it's possible the men could be charged with a hate crime. So here's their statement. It says based on the statement or statements of the victim, this ultimately could be racially motivated. A peace officer cannot charge for a hate crime. It is a sentencing enhancement brought on during the prosecution of a case. So Georgia's hate crime statute allows for additional penalties to be imposed for crimes motivated by victims, race, religion, sexual orientation, or other factors. Remember the genesis of this story. We said at the very beginning, why are they not arrested? Why have they not been charged? Initially, it seemed as if this was not going to be a case at all. He continued to push the truth, the young man. He continued to say, this is not right. The wheels started to move in the right direction. We then got word after our reporting there was an official investigation. And now you have an official charge and arrest. And hopefully the wheels of justice will move in the right direction. Georgia recently received their hate crimes statute. And I say that received intentionally. Because the hate crime statute in Georgia was allowed because the police wanted their own hate crime statute too. And the compromise was basically, if you all are going to have it your way, we're going to have it ours. The reason why there was a push for a hate crime statute in Georgia is because of the death of Ahmaud Arbery. And that death was so dramatic and traumatic to the citizens of Georgia, it created the political atmosphere in order to finally pass a real hate crimes bill. However, in the process of passage, the police unions and police leaders said, we want some of that too, and they got it. All right, AB, thoughts here. Yeah, I'm glad this young man continued to pursue justice in this because it's unfortunate that whenever it's a black victim and white suspects, it turns into a he say, she say, as opposed to let's just get to the bottom of it and let's get justice. I think that it just perpetuates this idea that black people are just supposed to deal with whatever happens to them and move on and you know it's not a big deal. So he absolutely deserves justice for this and those young men deserve to have to answer to the crimes that they committed allegedly, we'll say. Um, it looks like a hate crime to me, right? Regardless of what possibly happened before the incident, um, before the altercation occurred, you have two white men who jumped on one single black man in the middle of the night um, and they called him the N word. That is a hate crime. That should be looked at as a hate crime. Um, the excuse of, oh, well, the police don't get to charge the DA charges. They absolutely do, and so you need to go ahead and move forward and do that. Um, and hold yourselves and your community accountable and let other community citizens know this will not be tolerated. You cannot treat your neighbor like this, regardless of what color, creed, or um, 
sex or whatever, gender, whatever, you cannot treat your neighbor like that. This is our community and we live together and we're gonna do it peacefully and we're gonna follow the law as we do it. So I do hope that justice is served, that these two men have to answer to their crimes. And you know, I'm just praying for that young man because I can only imagine the type of trauma that he feels even moving forward, having to deal with a situation like this and then almost seemingly having to advocate for himself to make sure that he gets justice. Yeah, it takes too much to get justice sometimes in the black community. He did deny their version. He said that was so completely not true that he tried to hit anybody. Governor Ron DeSatan is now coming after colleges who have the audacity to teach diversity. He says it will not stand in his state. All right, let's put up his picture. This is exactly what I predicted would happen. I told you this was the ultimate plan. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday announced plans to block state colleges from having programs on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, naturally, he threw in critical race theory, but it's really diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let me say this, ladies and gentlemen, they are now saying the inside part on the outside. Critical race theory, that whole movement was a distraction from what they really wanted to do. No one in K through 12 education taught critical race theory. That's why the anti CRT bills in Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, none of them say they are banning critical race theory. It's not in the statutory language. As a matter of fact, I said, great, ban critical race theory in K through 12 education. The reason why I agreed with it is because it's not taught in K through 12 education, would have been a nothing burger. But the real plan was to eliminate teaching diversity, to eliminate teaching the truth of America's racial or racist history, things like that. Now they're saying it out loud. So let me give you the rest. Put his picture back up. DeSantis debuted the proposal as part of a larger higher education legislative package that is expected to be taken up by the GOP controlled and cop controlled state house when it's in for regular session. Now that's in March, all right? That's right around the corner. Last year, the governor signed legislation dubbed the Stop Woke Act that restricts certain race-based conversations and analysis in schools and also in businesses. The law bars instruction that says members of one race are inherently racist or should feel guilt for past actions committed by others of the same race among other things. Now, naturally those diversity programs do not tell people to feel guilty. This is his interpretation. This month, the Santa's administration blocked a new advanced placement course on African American studies being taught in high schools. We covered that as well, saying it violates state law and is historically inaccurate. That comes from the same man who literally said on the microphone, we need to teach a different kind of history. Yeah, not the history that's real, but the history that's patriotic. After heavy criticism from Governor Ron DeSantis, the college board released on Wednesday an official curriculum for his new advanced placement course in African American studies. 
Now this is from the College Board. Strip much, stripped of much of the subject matter that had angered the governor and other conservatives. You do realize he wants to be king, right? He's not interested in being a governor, he wants to be a king. And what he's doing, this is for the people of Florida, I hope you understand. You're in a laboratory and a madman named DeSantis is your science director. And in this laboratory, he's letting everyone in the country know what he's going to bring to the United States of America after he first experiments on you. This is what he's doing. There's more. The college board purged, purged, ladies and gentlemen, the names of black writers and black scholars associated in any way with critical race theory, which means I would not be able to teach in the state of Florida personally at the college level. The queer experience and black feminism. It ushered out some politically fraught topics like black lives matter from the formal curriculum. It added something new, black conservatism is allowed. It is now offered as a good idea for a research project. Black Lives Matter out. Teachers being able to bring in a non-vetted Winnie the Pooh books, that's out. They'll get charged with a third degree felony now. However, if you would like to study black conservatism, that's in. Put up a picture, David Coleman. David Coleman is the head of the college board, said in an interview that the changes were all made for pedagogical reasons. That's the teaching style and that's how we impact students through the art of education. Not to bow to political pressure, he says. At the college board, we can't look to statements of political leaders, he said. The changes, he said, came from the input of professors and longstanding AP principals. Well, damn it, sir, give me some names. Give me some names. Because the professors that I know, none of them are anti-critical race theory. None of them are anti-inclusion and diversity. So please submit the list of professors who informed you to make this decision. And to the citizens of Florida, you have standing here. You can request an open records act request and say, give me the list of professors because he works for you. He works for the government, he's paid by you. And because of that, there are two dynamics associated with his public position. One, freedom of information, two, Open records, go ahead and find out who these professors are. I believe they don't exist. I think the only professor he's listening to is the madman running that damn state. AB, thoughts here. This is a problem when you give people who are willfully ignorant and quite frankly racist. This
this type of platform. So as a former AP student, I can say that you get to choose your AP choice, your AP courses. And I know that one of DeSantis's argument is that you don't want to indoctrinate people without their choice. Well, you get to choose what AP courses you decide to take. So if you choose not to take AP African American history, that is on you. In addition to that, he complains about indoctrinating people and being woke. Well, this is one of the things that CRT highlights. And I can confirm this as a current law student who is currently in critical race theory right now, taking the course right now. And I felt it was important to take this course regardless of how busy my schedule was because I wanted to be able to talk about these type of issues without the same ignorance that people like DeSantis use to talk about it. So what critical race theory does is it points out the issues with conversations like this, is that you tend to isolate black students, right, and alienate them from their history and make them feel like what they are learning is not important and actually dangerous. And that is far from the case. What critical race theory does not do is try to convince another race of people to hate themselves or feel bad about themselves. What it does is let you know that there are different type of people that live in this country and have to deal with issues on a day to day that we normally do not address. And because of the way that education has been taught throughout the years, a lot of students have been felt alienated and have felt like their position in this country has not been validated and has is not being taught. And so they don't understand where they come from and they don't understand where they're going. So essentially what you are doing in retrospect is indoctrinating people to feel like their history and their knowledge is not important because they're not important. The only thing that is important is making sure that conservatives get their way. And quite frankly, what I think is that y'all conservatives are dying off. And so what you are trying to do is indoctrinate more people, younger people to learn your antics and your tactics so that you guys don't lose your power. But unfortunately, no matter how hard you try, it is going to happen. Because the more you push against it, the more people are gonna push for it. And that's all I'm gonna say about that one. That's very, very well said. And you are absolutely right. The energy they are putting into this, they are going to get it back sevenfold from those who will not stand for it. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen Wood. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're still friends. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. <laughs> yeah, she's in an accident. Are you laughing? No one's laughing. Are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> laugh! 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 You smashed my car. You, you smashed my car. What? You're drunk driving and smashed my car. You some PG. What's PG? You smashed my car. You have insurance? Yeah, I do. I have bruises. I'm bleeding. I have everything. How do you think this is going to go? My car is parked. Your car is smashed in the middle of the street. You're drunk driving. You think you got a good one, huh? No, sir. No, sir. Yes, I'm the one that's bleeding, right? No, you seem okay, but you should sit down. I am okay. You should sit. I think you'll feel better if you sit. How funny. Why is that funny? Yeah. There is nothing funny about this 
caring situation. I highlighted this for a reason. Let's put the graphic up for a mass. It is already viral. It's already all over the internet. So I want to say this. According to the uploader of the video you just saw, the uploader was unsure if police ever showed up. But alleged that the Karen started to walk away on foot before the owner of the parked car and the tow truck driver chased her down to get her insurance information. That's according to the uploader. Um, we can talk about the privilege here, the opportunity to engage even after such an extreme act has happened. Uh, but I want to talk about something else. So, madam, you may have a problem. It's possible. I want you to consider it. I used to be a drinking man myself. I haven't had a drink in years because of things like that. You cannot live your best life when there is something that continues to bring you down when you're happy. You got to think about it. If you bring yourself down when you're happy, that's a problem. Now, I'm not saying you're an alcoholic. I'm not saying that. I'm going to put it in this contextualization. If drinking presents a problem, that means you have a drinking problem. For anyone who is struggling or somebody, I know someone who is, please understand this is not an indictment on your character. It is a sickness that you can arrest and overcome. You can call SAMHSA's national helpline, it is free. It is confidential, it is 24 7, 365. 1-800-662-HELP, 1-800-662-HELP. Um, hopefully your friends will present some level of intervention. Uh, my friends did that with me and I hope they do it with you. All right, AB thoughts here. Um, first and foremost, I'm just glad nobody was seriously injured um, or harmed in this incident because we have seen tragedies that occur from um, drinking and driving. Um, I'm gonna be honest, it's the coddling of her behavior is bothering me as a Karen, right? Because you were being irresponsible. Drinking and driving is against the law, okay? Um, leaving the scene of a crime is also against the law. So coddling someone who is clearly inebriated um, and not even willing to take responsibility for their actions, that's a problem for me. And I think that will perpetuate the problem. And it continues to make people who unfortunately deal with these type of issues think that what they're doing is okay. I seriously hope this young woman gets help because it could have ended way worse and her life could be and jeopardy, right? Her freedom yep. could be in jeopardy because of these type of decisions. And so while I don't want to shame her, I do want to say like, you can't coddle this type of behavior. Like you need to be held accountable. You need to understand that you got it left easy this time, right? You just hit a parked car and the material value can be replaced. But that could have been someone's life and that needs to be taken into consideration. And in this day and age, there's just no excuse for drinking and driving. There's too many resources 
resources and options that if you do choose to drink and you need to be transported from one place to another, you can get a sober driver. There's apps called Uber, Lyft and things of that such that you can use so that you don't put yourself in these type of positions. Yeah, too many options are available for the irresponsible behavior. I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's a class taught by Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I've done fundraising for Mad over the years. That class, if you just take one of those classes, it would change your life. Because all of those classes are instructed by the survivors whose family have been killed by drunk drivers. It's one of the most, it's one of the most effective classes anybody would take. Very sad situation, put her picture up full mass. You see this woman, this woman loses her job because she has missing teeth. She has missing teeth according to her because her ex-husband knocked her teeth out of her mouth. Let's keep a picture up. Rosie Marie Counts is a woman from Ohio. She claims she had no choice but to leave her job at her local Sheets store because her teeth, many of which are missing because she says her ex-husband knocked them out of her mouth, violated the store's Smile policy. She says, and I quote, I lost these front teeth because my ex husband headbutted me because I forgot to turn the hall light out. She explained on Facebook a direct quote. She says, I was informed that policy states all Sheets employees must have and remain with a perfect, beautiful, warm, welcoming smile. She detailed of the meeting with management. The company defines my smile as unbeautiful because I still have work that needs to be done on them. Counts has awaited permanent dentures, which Sheets Insurance would reportedly partially cover for her damaged smile since the incident, but claims her plan does not cover temporary dentures in the interim. As a result, she's been forced to live with missing and broken teeth until a permanent procedure. She goes on to say, even though I am good at my job, I can no longer be a frontline employee with the company because of my smile, she wrote. On the audio, the manager can be heard telling her that while she heard wonderful things about her from customers, she was not to return to her role behind the register. I feel like my job performance should be enough, Counts replies, stating that she felt compelled to seek employment elsewhere. I don't feel like I should have to justify myself because of my looks. There's more, the company's policy forbids employees from working with, and I quote, obvious missing, broken, or badly discolored teeth unrelated to a disability. They're given 90 days to make the required amendments. 
In an interview with Insider, Business Insider, Ms. Counts recalled that the manager asked her for a detailed timeline showing when the procedures would take place, how much they would cost. Instead, she opted to walk away. Dental work is really expensive, even on Sheet's really good dental plan. An anonymous employee told the publication. Uh, let's put up the CEO of the company. Now remember, policy rolls down. Travis Sheets is the CEO and president of Sheets Convenience Store Company. According to Business Insider, the company is currently reviewing its smile policy. But defended Count's manager stating that she was handling this type of situation for the first time. Uh, meanwhile, let's put up this GoFundMe. Um, Rose has opened up a GoFundMe to receive funding for her dental care. Here, here's, uh, I was touched by this story. So first of all, obviously, in my opinion, completely lacks heart. Completely lacks heart. It lacks the reason the smile even matters. It's not the teeth, it's the spirit behind it. It's the feeling. So when the customers were saying she is amazing, she makes us feel good. Teeth or no teeth, she continued to do that. Why? Because it's not about the teeth that makes the smile amazing. It's about the spirit that is offered in. Dignity, dignity, you took this woman's dignity away. She already got her teeth knocked out by her ex-husband. Anybody got a heart? You're a major company. So here's what I'm gonna do. Ma'am, if you see this story, email me at indisputable. You come to Atlanta, I will take care of those teeth, okay? My promise stands. If this GoFundMe does not work for you, fine, no problem. You come to Atlanta, it's taken care of, all right? All right, AB, thoughts here. I would just like to start off by saying that the CEO smile was not welcoming in the least bit at all. So they absolutely should revisit that policy. Um, second of all, as a domestic violence survivor, I know how hard it is to pick yourself up after going through those type of situations and tragedies and trying to find the beauty and spirit within yourself. But I want us to think about the fact that what about the seven, eight and nine year olds who lose their front teeth? Are we gonna say that their smiles aren't welcoming as well? I think that this is blatant discrimination, it is mean, and people need to stop shopping at sheets for whatever reason, because that's not how you treat employees. And if they don't care about their employees, they darn sure don't care about you as a consumer. And so we should not be putting money into a corporation that would belittle a woman who went to work every day, despite whatever injuries she had, despite whatever she was going through at home, despite whatever PTSD and other issues she is potentially suffering from due to her experience and smiled and was good to customers and did what she had to do to promote your company, the company should go and more people should be outraged by this. Because at the end of the day, you see people for who they are. It doesn't matter about your appearance. If she was clean and doing what she 
continued to do at work and and helped you build your brand and your company, her two front teeth shouldn't have been an issue. And if they were an issue, they were so much of an issue, and she's a good employee, why I didn't just go ahead and pay for them? That's right. That's right. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Black male double amputee shot in the back by the police. This is disturbing to watch. All right, let's put up this picture full mass. I will explain to you the background as to what happened. His name is Anthony Lowe Jr. Okay, he was 36 years of age, fatally shot by the police, as you just saw. Double amputee, he was shot to death on January 26th by the Huntington Police Department. These officers claim they were in fear for their lives because he was brandishing a knife, according to them. Lowe's older sister, Mr. Lowe's older sister, Toya Toy told the LA Times, his legs had been amputated after a previous altercation with law enforcement in Texas. So he has an altercation with law enforcement in Texas. He gets his legs amputated. Per video footage recorded by a bystander or actually by multiple bystanders. Huntington Park officers are seen slowly chasing him while he fled on the stumps of his legs. They were according to them in fear of their lives. The rate at which Lowe was fleeing did not appear fast enough to elude officers, but they still opted for lethal force. While the footage does show Lowe motion as if he's about to throw the knife and the officers flinch, it never appeared as though their lives were in imminent danger. Mr. Lowe Jr. shown lying on the sidewalk after being shot. Police said in a press release, Lowe was shot in the upper torso and was pronounced dead at the scene. Per News One, Huntington Park police are not equipped with body worn cameras. So bystander video is crucial in the investigation. So what led to this? How do you get to this point of a man who's in a wheelchair? Has no legs, jumps out of the wheelchair, and the police claim we were in fear of our lives. There's nothing else we could have done. There's no 
other way this could have happened. Now you know good and damn well, that's a lie. Everybody knows that's a lie. Everyone who watched this video, you know the man did not have to die. And so many times there's a conflation of this. If a person did something where they should see a judge, that doesn't mean they should see their maker. We don't know what would have happened in a case because Mr. Lowe was not afforded due process as mandated by the US Constitution. Police responded to the scene in Huntington Park last Thursday. This is according to the report. Following reports that a man had been stabbed by another man in a wheelchair. When they arrived at the scene, police said they found Anthony Lowe Jr. with a 12 inch butcher knife, which he allegedly used to threaten the officers. The victim of the stabbing was also found to be suffering from a life threatening stab wound resulting in a collapsed lung and internal bleeding. That's a statement from the police. Huntington Park Police Department claimed they tried to taser Lowe twice with no success. In the statement, they continued, the suspect continued to threaten officers with the butcher knife, resulting in an officer involved shooting. Now, I'm going to tell you exactly what I think happened here. I think they may have gotten upset that Mr. Lowe threatened them. I think they were mad that Mr. Lowe did not comply. And they decided. That moment to kill a man with no legs who posed no imminent danger to them based on the video evidence we currently have. You and I, me and you, whoever's watching this, if we needed to apprehend Mr. Lowe, we could have apprehended him without him dying. I promise you, there's more. Following the altercation, following the altercation, the officers involved have been placed on paid administrative leave pending the ongoing investigations from themselves, the police department and the sheriff's department's homicide bureau. And also the LA County DA's office. After the sheriff's department completes its investigation, the LA County DA's office will conduct an independent review of the matter according to the narrative. Lowe's family is demanding justice for officers feeling the need to shoot and kill a double amputee who was fleeing. They claim the police are not being forthcoming and suggested there is an active cover up. They refuse to give everything we need to know what really happened to him, Lowe's cousin said. According to the local news outlet KCAL, um, here's what I don't want to happen here. There are going to be many who will make this about what he's accused of. Can I be very clear? Let me be very specific. The man who's dead is innocent. I'm gonna say that again. The man who is dead is innocent. Why? Because guilt can only be determined by a court of law. You are innocent, everybody is innocent until or unless proven guilty. Has he been proven guilty? No, he's dead, he hasn't been proven guilty. He's classified as innocent, that's number one. Number two, 
just because someone may need to see a judge does not mean they need to see their maker. And number three, you can't advocate for people without having principle. So I may not like a particular individual. I may not like something they have done. I may not like something they have said. But if they have been marginalized by the powers that be, if they have been dealt with in an egregious manner because of that marginalization, it does not require me to like them, to agree with them, or to justify their previous actions. It only requires that I stand on that principle. And the principle is this, the man should not have been shot in the back because those cops were in no imminent danger. End of sentence. AB thoughts here. First of all, you don't chase someone if you are in fear of your life. You are the one that is fleeing when you are in fear of your life. So that story just doesn't make sense. And let's just start there. Second of all, even with self defense, there has to be reasonable force. When someone has a knife, you can't bring a gun and then say that that force is reasonable. Because if a normal citizen did that, they would be sitting in handcuffs and they would be facing a trial. So let's be clear about that. Quite frankly, I am tired of the excuses. I am tired that we do not have legislation that checks these type of issues. I am tired of hearing the same story from police officers when they commit crimes in this fashion. He was superhuman, the other tactics didn't work. We didn't see you try any other tactics in this position. Matter of fact, you had more than ample time from the video that we just saw to subdue this suspect before it got out of hand. He couldn't even run. And for someone who is wheelchair bound to feel the need to try to run on their stumps as opposed to use their transportation, what they normally use to get around, shows you something else. It questions who was really in fear. Yeah. At the same time, we don't even know what happened prior to this incident. And so for these police officers to be able to do this and then go on paid administrative leave continues to allow them to have this type of behavior towards people of color and in particular black people. Because you don't see us as people, you see us as objects, Yeah. as shooting targets. I want to remind people that we don't know what he did prior, we just know what the police have said to us. We don't know if it happened, and if it did happen, we don't know if it was self-defense. We will will probably never know these things factually because due process is now gone. Um, Remember the story of the white woman we covered, remember that? Remember that story? Um, We covered the white female who um, shot her husband. We covered the white female who shot her husband inside of a hospital. Police arrive, she has a gun, she refuses to drop it. She shoots the hospital and what does the officer say? Hey guys, no, 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 we got all day. Please put down the gun, please put it down. Just tell us what's going on, she's shooting. She done already killed one person, staff at the hospital, they're afraid she gets apprehended.
she gets due process. They were not in fear of their lives, even though they saw her shoot a man. All right, we have an exclusive. This is an update about Dalvin Gatson. Charges have now been dropped. The veteran who was brutalized by the police, charges completely dropped. Let me remind you of what happened, here it is. Gonna ask you to just not reach for anything and step on another vehicle, okay? Well, I'm coming out the vehicle for uh, we'll talk about that, okay? So just step on out for DUI. All right, so stand up, turn around, hands behind your back. Step out of the car, man. Hands behind my back. Yes, you're gonna be detained in handcuffs. No, I'm not. You're about to stand up. Victor 9-1 fighting. Stop fighting me, bro. Quit fighting. Me. I'm not assaulting you, bro. My, my brother, my brother, oh my brother, oh my brother, oh my brother. Oh. Oh. Yeah. You go. No, you're done. You're done. You're all right. You're all right. I had that left arm. It's like, yeah. don't do it, dude. <laughs> I want to do something a little different, uh, Jordan. Let's go ahead and put up the picture of the results of this brutal attack. This is what he looked like after they brutalized him. El Paso County, Colorado DA Michael Allen has now dropped all charges against Mr. Gatson. 29 year old army veteran who was severely beaten by police on October 9th in Colorado Springs. We first covered this story, it was exclusive to indisputable. Gadsden's attorney, civil rights lawyer, Harry Daniels said the statement released by the DA yesterday was the strongest he has ever seen by a district attorney exonerating his client completely of wrongdoing. Here's some of that audio with Harry Daniels. District attorney not only dismissed his case for lack of evidence or that they didn't have enough evidence to prosecute his case, this case was dismissed under Rule 3.88 of the Colorado Rules of Professional Conduct, which states that a prosecutor shall refrain from prosecuting a charge that the prosecutor knows is not supported by probable cause. So essentially, what the prosecutor, district attorney, says that we know this case was not supported by these charges were not supported by probable cause. Therefore, we must dismiss this case. Or it'd be unethical for to do for us not to do so, and we could in fact be in trouble with the state bar of Colorado. Yep, dismissed in the interest of justice. Indisputable first released that disturbing footage on December 13th. All right, the unhoused veteran was being a good Samaritan. He was helping somebody get to work. He was then beaten by the police. His car was stopped for not displaying. A license plate. When cops told Mr. Gadsden to step out for suspicion of marijuana DUI, he appeared confused. I would be too, because marijuana is legal. Now in Colorado, now after Gadsden paid a $15 fine, the DA dropped the charges with this statement. On January 30th, 
2023, Mr. Gatson entered a guilty plea to unlawful display of license plates, a class B traffic infraction. Mr. Gatson was ordered to pay a fine, surcharge and any court cost as determined by the court. All other charges were dismissed by the DA. Rule 3.8, as Harry Daniels talked about, of Colorado rules of professional conduct states that a prosecutor shall refrain from prosecuting a charge that the prosecutor knows is not supported by probable cause. Let's go to the officers that took part in this arrest. These all of the, all of the cops we know on record. Three cops, Colby Hickman on the left, Christopher Humo Center and Matthew and Anderson. Right, Hummel, Matthew and Anderson on the right. Anderson smiles for a photo of his cut up knuckles after the beating. So I need you to see this now. Now, what are you looking at? You're looking at a person, they're happy about punching an unhoused veteran who, according to the DA, they had no probable cause to even interact with. But that does not stop Mr. Anderson here from taking a trophy shot. Here is Gadsden's legal team, civil rights attorney Harry Daniels, Bakari Sellers, and Latrice Latin and Kevin Murr. All of them are remarkable attorneys and most of them are friends. The attorneys released a joint statement by saying, and I quote, by dropping the charges, the DA has made it clear that these officers had no reason to detain Mr. Gadsden for a DUI investigation, much less beat him mercilessly and then smile for the cameras as he lay on the ground bleeding. In other words, this decision means that their actions weren't just excessive, they were unlawful. They continued, Chief Adrian Vasquez said the officers, Colby J. Hickman, Matthew Anderson and Christopher K. Hummel did nothing wrong, but the reality is, that they brutally beat Mr. Gasson for a $15 fine and they should be investigated, arrested and prosecuted. Failing to do so puts lives at risk, just like Tyree Nichols. Colorado Springs Lieutenant Pamela Castro responded to Indisputable's request for comment. She refuted what she claimed Gasson's attorney said. Uh, that her department was not investigating officer's conduct. So let's put it up. This is their response to us, okay? The Colorado Springs Police Department makes arrest based on the legal standard of probable cause. The fourth judicial district attorney's office makes decisions regarding the prosecution of cases based on a different legal standard. The DA's office makes their charging decisions regarding the prosecution of criminal cases independent of the Colorado Springs Police Department. Contrary to the statement from Mr. Gass's lawyer, Chief Vasquez did not say the involved officers did nothing wrong. Chief Vasquez has made no determination on the action of the involved officers. As we previously stated, an internal investigation is occurring. This internal investigation is ongoing and it would be inappropriate for the chief to make a statement prior to its conclusion. So Attorney Daniels answered back saying the accusation misrepresented facts and pointed to the statement in December. Let's put it up. 
by the department when they said the use of force was found to be within policy. That's exactly what they decided to post. It was within policy. Here's the head of the Colorado Springs Police Department. There's your chief. Right, there's your chief. His representative said the department is investigating its officers and cannot comment further while the investigation is ongoing. Wow, isn't that something? So initially, when you all did this to the veteran, you concluded so, I guess, aggressively. You told the social media person, social media director of the police division, hey, put that on Twitter. Yeah, no wrongdoing, all within policy. We get the story. We tell the truth, and all of a sudden, everything changes. See, it shouldn't take this, it's my point. It should not take a news segment to right your wrong. Now, as long as you all continue to act as if there's not a cultural issue within the industry of policing at large, we will continue to do these stories. We will continue to do what we can, but communities also, you have to elect better Leaders, those leaders appoint at the city level your chiefs. Your sheriff of the county is elected directly by you, typically. This is a power that you have, use it. AB, thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, just to even say that the use of force um, was in policy begs the question of, well, what exactly is the policy? Is it just to beat black people or is it just to beat veterans or it doesn't even matter? Because these actions are starting to look more like gang initiations and actual traffic stops, right? Um, It's hard to prove that what you guys did was within policy if you were in violation of the Constitution, if you are in violation of the Fourth Amendment, if there was no probable cause. Once there is no probable cause, you have no case and you should be touching people. You should not be stopping people without probable cause. So it just begs the question of what are these officers learning in their training? Because it's obviously not the law. It's obviously not um, the constitution, right? Um, It's just, I'm at a loss for words at this point, like how we can even justify this, right? Um, And then even to say that, you know, we're learning from a different, we're using different set of laws. It's just like, no, the fourth amendment is the fourth amendment. Leave it at that. There you go. A new DA is going to reopen cases of police killing people. Let's put a picture up, full mass. This DA, according to a press release issued by her office, DA Pamela Price. From the Alameda County DA's office says that police officers and sheriff's deputies who killed eight, count them, eight individuals while on duty in past incidents could face murder charges, including manslaughter and other criminal charges. Won't he do it? The cases will be investigated by the new public accountability unit within the DA's office. The cases include two controversial Oakland police killings that happened in 2007 and 2008. Before I give you the rest of the background, let me just remind everyone, this is what happens when you elect the right leader. 
This is what happens when you put somebody in who's fearless. This is what happens when you elect someone who's willing to hold their campaign promises as sacred. She said she was going to do this if the good people of that county put her in office. That's exactly what she's doing. On December 31st, 2007, Andrew Wani Moppin Buckskin fled a traffic stop, fled on foot near 46th Avenue and International Boulevard in East Oakland. An Oakland police sergeant spotted the young man hiding between a car and a building. Two rookie officers, Hector Jimenez and Jessica Borrello, arrived and commanded Moppin Butskin to surrender. 12 seconds later, they shot and killed him. They later told investigators they could not see his hands. He was unarmed. They admitted they could not see his hands. They still shot and killed him. Uh, put up the former DA. Yeah. Former DA, Thomas Orloff. His office reviewed the case, which was investigated by the homicide unit, and declined to press charges against the cops. However, the DA's review took six years to complete. Six years to complete. Officer Jimenez returned to work a few days after the shooting. And on July 25th, 2008, he and his partner, Joel Alleyworth, Alleyworth were trying to stop a car that was speeding and swerving in Fruitvale Avenue on at 340 in the morning. The car suddenly stopped and 27 year old Mac Jody Wood Fox got out and began to run away from the officers. Jimenez, same cop as before, did what? Shot twice. Jimenez shoots twice and shoots Wood Fox in the back and once in the arm. Once again, Unarmed, unarmed. Then the DA, the same damn DA, Orloff, his team, well, what did they do? They also declined to press charges against this officer for the killing of that unarmed man. But OPD's internal affairs investigators found that the officer did in fact, this time violate department rules. When he used deadly force, the DA's report on the Wood Fox shooting was also delayed for six years. Put the black woman back up again, okay? Madam, I applaud your leadership, your courage, your fight. Whatever we can do for you, please let us know. All right, AB thoughts here. Yeah, on this beautiful first day of Black History Month, yeah. I just love to see a black woman getting the job done. Like, I'm glad that we're gonna see justice, and I'm glad that, you know, we are, this is, this is proof that representation matters, right? This is proof that diversity matters, and not just in color, but in integrity and in thought and just in excellence. And so, you know, I'm happy to see that people will be held accountable, and I hope this begins to set precedent and set a standard for how police officers should be dealt with when they involve themselves in this type of criminal activity. There you go. 
All right, we will continue to update that story. Obviously, I do believe charges are coming. Imagine being pulled over because you have tattoos and the police tell you, yeah, this is why we pulled you over, your tattoos. We don't have people like that around here. Here's a video. I'm just trying to go to Planet Fitness, man. I'm just trying to go to Planet Fitness. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Dude, what is the way I know. What's your name? My name is Jason. Jason? Yeah. Jason, do you mind just putting that? I don't know what's in your hand right now. Look, it's my t-shirt and my hat. You probably see me take it off right now. Okay. Jason, are you on parole or probation? No, or nothing. So have you been arrested or anything like that? I've been arrested before, but that's years ago. It has nothing to do with my, my life now. Okay. Yeah. Where, where are you living at? Where am I living? I'm from Phoenix. I'm here as an actor. An actor? Yes. Have you been in anything I would have seen? I don't know. No? I don't know. I've auditioned for many things that I know you've seen, but I, I sign NDAs and I'm not allowed to talk about these things. Uh, talk about it? Yeah. Okay. Is there anything legal on you or anything nope. like that? No. It's okay if we make sure? There's no reason to search me. But is it okay if we make sure? There's no reason to search me. So you're saying no? I don't know. Is it against the law to say no? Because I'd rather it's you don't. It's not against the law. No, I'm saying no then. There's okay. no, there's no. But the whole reason is what made you, what provoked you to stop me and just question me? I'm just curious. Because like, like I said, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm being harassed by the Burbank police. And, I, and, I, and I'm not and I'm not doing nothing wrong. Yeah, no, normally, normally it's not every day that people walk down the street. They got full, full tattoo sleeves and everything. You know? So is my tattoos. <laughs> this officer said, "It's not every day someone walks down the street with tattoos." Oh, madam, you know it wasn't the tattoo that set you and your partner off to engage in this way. Let's put his picture up. In Burbank, an actor walking to Planet Fitness was stopped by the police because he had tattoos. The man that they profiled is actor, producer, and musician Lazy Dub. Lazy Dub wanted to make it clear. This was not a skit, this was not some type of joke. This was authentic and it happened to him. So at this point, Burbank, you got some questions that need answers. Do your officers know what civil violation is? Do they understand the concept of the Constitution? Probable cause, civil rights. Because what I just saw was a violation to the extreme. AB, as a law student, you saw multiple violations there, I know. Oh, absolutely, I definitely did. And so the only thing I'm gonna say is at this point, just stop talking to the police unless you got an attorney. Because, you know, I mean, that's all we can do at this point because they clearly don't know the law and it's not your job to teach it to them. Leave them alone because this is getting ridiculous. Just insane. Yeah, so sad that happened to him. I'm glad he did record it. So now, possibly, policies can change, education can happen, sensitivities can be noted. All right? Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.